Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and this is a talk I gave uh, in January at the ISED meeting in Fort Lauderdale. And I've modified it just a little bit, but basically the question people asked me to speak about was, what are the pitfalls of CTA and how do you avoid them? So that's what I'm going to talk about today. And if you think about CTA in general, there are many potential sources of error. Poor patient preparation, you know, bad IV access, for example. Bad data acquisition, poorly timed studies. Data post-processing done incorrectly. Or study interpretation are all common sources of error. And we could study each of these, and we have in part in other lectures. But what I'm going to talk about today is only the data post-processing. What are the errors that occur in data post-processing? So one way to think about it is the key to doing post-processing is to understand the rendering techniques you have available and how and when to use them. Each technique has its advantages and its disadvantages. Each has potential pitfalls. Now, I always speak about optimal rendering technique that, of course, it needs to be easy to use, but you need that high accuracy, high sensitivity, high specificity. Easy to use and lousy results is not what you want. We talk about reproducibility. We talk about time-efficient design. But a critical thing is that high sensitivity and specificity for the specific applications you're looking at. And there's no doubt the rendering technique you use is the most important determinant of the 3D image quality, assuming you have a good CT data set, which of course is number one. And the rendering technique, the way you have to think about it, is the algorithm the computer uses to transform the 2Ds into the 3D imaging. Now, I've spoken in the past about how we think about this post-processing. We speak about multiplanar reconstruction, which is something all of you are familiar with. Is the thing done most commonly, particularly coronal and sagittal reconstructions. But now with curved planar reconstructions and the like, it's becoming uh, even more important, particularly in cardiac. We know that the NPR quality depends on the initial data set. Thick sections, wide spacing are all going to be, uh, uh, the res will result in poor uh, 3Ds or poor MPRs. And of course, now with isotropic data set, it's really perfect for MPR imaging. Many practices routinely did MPRs, particularly sagittals and spine imaging. And in the past, they were reimbursed, but they're no longer reimbursed. Now, I mentioned that one type of multiplanar reconstruction, which is curved planar, is becoming especially important in cardiac CT. It's the tech we, technique we use to really allow us to stretch out the vessels, look at the vessels literally around a center line. And what the computers do now really is allow you to stretch the vessel like a piece of spaghetti. Now, curved planar reconstructions have been used for a while. One of the really good applications, uh, Brooke Jeffrey wrote some articles about pancreatic duct evaluation. But now we're really focusing on cardiac. So what the computer allows you to do is you touch the beginning and end of a vessel, in this case the right coronary, and then it tracks the vessel along the center line, and then you can create 3D images or 2D uh, curved planar reconstructions along that center line. We can rotate that vessel, see some of the branches, and it's just a very nice way of being able to look at the vessel, which in this case was normal. Anything that you want to look through the center of where the center line is critical, curved planar will work. So for example, looking at stents within the coronary vessels, or really within any vessel. Here's a stent in RCA, in fact two stents, 
nice volume rendering, but you really can't tell much about stent patency. But if you do a curved planar reconstruction, you really nicely open the stent and you can see it's patent. So that's our first tool. We'll speak about pitfalls. Pitfalls really relate a lot to things coming in and out of plane, also poor data sets, but we'll come back to that. We speak about volume rendering, and I've mentioned in some of the other talks that it's the most difficult technique to use, in part because it has so much flexibility, but when used correctly, it's the most accurate technique. I won't go through the details, but you remember volume techniques are the one that allows us to look at different color tissue. It's one that allows us to represent each voxel accurately. And it's also the technique really that is critical if you want to be able to create those true 3D visual uh, images that we routinely will look at in the heart, for example, or look at many other applications. Now, one of the things with volume rendering, we could display things in a flat screen, we could display with motion, we could look with stereo goggles. There's many ways to look at volume rendering. And if I look at volume rendering and MIP, which we typically compare it to side by side, you can see in this case, when you look at the MIP, everything is flat. You see the vessels, but there's no detail of bowel. You see the biliary stent. Everything looks in the same plane. When you look at the volume rendering, you recognize how things are in 3D. Where's the vessels in relationship to bowel? Some are in front and some are behind. You can see the edge with shading and shadowing along the liver. You can see the stomach in 3D. And when we look at the vessels, it really is a very important difference. Now, in saying that, uh, when I typically look at vessels in the mesenteries, in this case, I'll use volume rendering and MIP. I'll use them both. But for that three-dimensional perspective, you really need volume rendering. Now, MIP is a good technique for certain things. If you only want to see the vessel, it looks at the brightest structures along a line from the viewer's eyes through the volume in question. There is some variation in MIP between different vendors, but the difference is relatively small when you compare it to uh, volume rendering. It's a simplistic technique in that only the brightest structures are shown, so you can see typically vessels. It suffers when calcium is present because calcium becomes brighter than contrast and can obscure detail or create all sorts of different lesions. And so when you're doing MIP, it's critical to remove overlying structures like bone. You may need to use very thin slabs so you don't have extraneous material within the field in evaluation. But again, you're really going to suffer when there's significant calcification present. And again, just think back to the image I showed you a moment ago. Again, very nice, sharp definition of those iliocolic vessels. But again, everything is same plane. You lose that three-dimensional feel. Um, everything tends to be more gray or black and white. Maybe it's a better way to look at it. But you don't have a lot of the detail you get with volume rendering. But it is a good technique and surely supplements a lot of our work in volume rendering. Now, one of the issues is, if you ask me the question, what's the best technique for any of these applications, I will say that one of the issues is, except for a few articles that have been written in terms of vessel stenosis, there's not been a lot written, at least critically looking at the different techniques. So let's take a stab at what works best when and where are the pitfalls. If I asked you, what about spatial relationships? What vessel-to-vessel -vessel relationships might be or vessel-to-structures or vessel-to-tumor? 
As I mentioned, there are few studies comparing the accuracy of these techniques, and there are even fewer studies looking at different systems, whether it's different workstations by different vendors or its inter-observer variability. Again, it's very important to remember when you're reading the literature um, not to assume that the results are always the same depending on what system you look at. It may be better or worse on your own system, and that's especially true as we commented with volume rendering. So we'll remember that. Now, when we think about vascular anatomy, let me just think about that thing for a second. I mentioned volume rendering a few moments ago creates very good three-dimensional relationships while MIP can't because of its projection techniques. And that's one of the greatest sources of error in post-processing. So for example, in this image, you see the volume rendering very nicely at the base of the skull showing you the carotids, which are ectatic. That's a patient with Lois Dietz. When you put it to MIP, look what happens. You lose the vessels at the base of the skull because the bone is denser than the vessels. Everything is obscured. So one of the things you want to recognize, and here's just a great example, Unless you remove the bone, you're going to miss things with MIP that you can easily see with volume rendering. Another example, trauma patient. You see volume rendering, we can see the axillary artery very nicely underneath the clavicle, next to the humerus. Very simple. If you take that same patient and you look at MIP, you can see what happens with the MIP. The um, scapula obscures the patient's axillary artery. There's nothing you could do about it unless you go in and remove bone. Now, we know it's easy to remove bone. It's easier to remove bone now than ever with these automated techniques. And here's an example where the bones are removed. And I see with volume rendering the axillary and brachial artery. And here's the same patient where you remove the bone and you could see the MIP image. So again, MIP is very, very critical on removing these structures. So it's very, very important. Now, again, it's fast to remove things, but it's very important to recognize that it does take extra work. And in the trauma setting like this one, it may be helpful not to need to do that. I showed this case before in a different talk, two renal arteries on MIP, two renal arteries in volume rendering. But when I go from MIP to volume rendering, if I'm only looking at number of renal arteries, I'm okay. But if I ask you where the vein is, I'm not okay because on the MIP, the vein seems to be retroaortic and it's pre-aortic on volume rendering. What's the truth? Well, the truth is this is arterial phase. On MIP, the brightest structures appear closer, so the vein appears posterior. Volume rendering, it doesn't really concern itself with what's brightest and so the vessel's in the correct place. And you can see that very nicely. And we can see that in one more example. In this case, where again, image on your left, the MIP image, you would swear that the vessel is retroaortic while it's at a classic location. Now, one other example. If we look at this case, look at the patient's splenic artery and celiac, and you recognize the volume rendered image on your left shows you the very nice curvature of the splenic artery, the relationships to the aorta, while on the right image, the MIP, you lose all of those relationships. You really don't see where the vessel crosses the midline. So again, very important. And here's just one more example about the projection. Gonadal vein sits above the iliac artery. On the MIP image, it seems to be retroaortic. Now, when you use this in clinical practice, it's not a trivial question where things are. In this MIP image, you would think that the lower pole renal artery is in the lateral left common iliac artery, 
while in truth it's from the medial aspect, and that would be important laparoscopically. Or in this next case where you see the patient's right coronary arising off the left main, you see that it arises off the sinus of Alsalva, but in the MIP image it doesn't appear to arise from that location. You might think it's from the non-coronary cusp. So again, you would make a significantly wrong diagnosis. Or this example, coronal, portal vein, and SMV thrombosis, but not totally occlusive. And so when you go to volume rendering, you see the thrombus nicely. But MIP being a projection technique basically hides the thrombus. What a misdiagnosis you would make. Or this example, dissection type B, just past left subclavian, volume rendered, but MIP, look what happens. It appears to be in the descending thoracic aorta. That would be obviously a significant difference in approach and theoretical management. So again, it's not just three-dimensional relationships, but it's actually your interpretation of the scan that can be wrong. One of the other things we can do with a volume-rendered image is we can use lighting models. We can enhance the surface to really enhance the 3D feel. So in this case, an ectatic aorta, look at the neck, the proximal neck of the aneurysm, very nice three-dimensional relationships with volume rendering, which you lose in MIP. Projection, you see the calcifications, but you lose that 3D feel. And you can really see that when you look at things side by side, or if I target the area in question. It's a significant difference. Another example, patient with a pulmonary AV malformation. Notice MIP versus volume rendering. I made the slab thin enough, but on the volume rendering, you see the relationship of feeding and draining vessel to the patient's pulmonary artery and aorta. On the MIP image, everything tends to be obscured. In the presence of calcification, the issues are even more so than without calcification. Again, with MIP, you can overcall stenosis. You can suggest vessel occlusion. It's especially difficult when you have extensive calcification, like this runoff study. Now, I will say that calcification is bad for volume rendering as well, but we can get through it a bit easier. We can do little tricks to help us. The future might be salvaged a little bit in calcification with dual energy, and I won't speak about dual energy except to mention that uh, whether you're doing it on a dual source scanner or a single detector scanner, you're scanning at two different energy levels. It really works nicely on a dual source. The calcium and contrast behave differently at different energies, typically 80 and 140 kV. And so you're able, as in this case, to separate the different structures. And here's just a wonderful example from Siemens showing you that um, when you do that, for example, on the base of the skull, you're able to pull the entire vascular map off without any of the bony structures. So again, something that is indeed very exciting. Future directions, I think we're going to see better implementation of rendering algorithms. We're going to be able to do our work faster because of the new 64-bit architectures that are available on the workstations that allow faster data loading, that will allow faster processing. And I think what you're going to see are better tools that will allow us to do our daily work. And with that, hopefully I've covered some of the pitfalls. Hopefully the future will bring us technology which will minimize these pitfalls. But till then, I have one word of caution, and that word is beware. With that, I wish you a nice day. Thanks a lot.